good morning, guys. So we had a great first service. I'm excited about today as we get to continue our series called Chasing the Wind, and we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. This is an interesting book. It's kind of a deep book. Uh, it makes us think. Uh, it's a book that uh, challenges us in some ways. It's, uh, some of these Old Testament books, um, they're a little different because um, they, they pose questions that aren't easily answered. Um, and that's one of the things I love about Ecclesiastes. Um, one of the things that's really cool here, we, Caleb was mentioned in life groups, and we've got a Tuesday morning group uh, that's called Community Space. And what, what it is, is we just open up Center 242 on Tuesday mornings uh, for anybody, really. So we've got homeschool students that are coming and doing some of their schoolwork. We've got uh, moms and dads with little kids coming and just hanging out. Uh, we've got people that can come in and work from the church on Tuesdays. Well, we have our staff meetings, so we're all the staff, we're all here on Tuesdays. And it's just a time we can all hang out. And a few weeks ago, it was interesting, um, there were a couple of kids, like two to three years old, sitting on the couch over in Center 242, and they had video game controllers, and they were playing a game on the screen, and I was, started watching them, and they were playing one of the Mario games, and I'm like, man, they are really good. They're like better at this than I am. And I just kept watching. I'm like, they are really, really good. And they're like little. I'm like, how are they doing this? And I was watching them. Watch, and then one of them sets the controller down and walks off, and the game keeps going. <laughs> and I'm like, and they're like, oh, we just put on a YouTube video and give them a controller, and they think they're playing. <laughs> and they don't know the difference yet. And so they're just over there like mashing the buttons and going to town and like, oh, I'm loving this and watch this. And, and, and I'm like, and I felt really dumb, you know. I'm like, I thought they were like better than I was at this. And, and they're just, and so spiritually, let me, let, me, let me do the preacher spin on this. Isn't that what life is sometimes? We've got the controller out and we're like, watch this. I'm mashing the buttons and moving the joystick and trying this combination. Like, oh, this is going to work. I'm going to win. And, and I can't help but thank God is just up there going, you idiot. You're not doing anything. You're not in control. That's what we're going to talk about today. I think so often we feel like we're in control of far more than we really are. And we've got to learn to really let go and trust God. And so we're in this series called Chasing the Wind. And I think we've all had situations in life where we kind of question, is this working? Am I making a difference, right? Um, are, do our kids, actually, are they actually hearing what I'm saying, right? Am I making a difference at work? And, and what, I'm doing, what I'm doing at church, is it really helping people? And, and, and we're kind of mashing buttons and trying this, and, and we're holding on. We're trying to control and do everything. And God's up there saying, but you're not really doing anything. And, and so I want to challenge us today to think a little bit. I, uh, it's really, that's kind of the place that Solomon got to in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's doing everything and he's tried everything and, and he's busy pushing the buttons and controlling everything. And he gets to this point where he says, this is all meaningless. This is all vanity of vanities. This is all absolute futility that the hebrew word that kind of opens the book is that word hevel which means a breath or a smoke or a vapor and 
It's this idea that life is brief, life is complex, and you can see it, but you can't really even grab hold of it, and, and that's really what life is like. And so we've got to understand our place in that world. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that's where we'll be today. Um, it'll take me a minute to get there, I'll kind of give you a little background before we, we start. Um, we've been working through the first two chapters, and the first chapter was kind of what I said. He opens right up, life is meaningless, how many translations say. And, and he's just saying, okay, I've tried everything, I've done everything, and I, I'm still empty apart from God. And, and so the first chapter, he talks about how we're just part of a generation after generation after generation. Will anybody even remember us? This really uplifting thought. Uh, he talks about trying to figure out life from a wisdom standpoint, about accumulating wisdom, and he comes to the conclusion that that doesn't work. It doesn't simply work. And so then chapter 2, he kind of turns the page, and in chapter 2, um, he really gets to this. He really says, okay, I'm going to try pleasure. I'm going to try satisfying every desire. And so we read in chapter 2, he, he tries everything, right? He, and he, he basically says, I've done more and experienced more, and I've done it better than any of you ever have or, any will, or ever will do. And yet I still find it all empty. I mean, you think he's the richest man that ever lived. He had more houses and gardens and wives and concubines, he, wine, all this stuff. He had everything. That the world says that you need to, to find joy and happiness. And yet, it left him completely empty. And so that's kind of where we pick up today in chapter 3. And if wisdom won't give you meaning, if joy and pleasure won't give you meaning, if success won't give you meaning, then what does? And so we're still in this uh, this is really like this grand experiment he's doing with his life, saying, I I'm trying to, to figure this out as I go and, and really try to find where true purpose comes from. And so the first lesson today that I, I want to share with you is simply this. Control, it it's only an illusion in life. We feel like we have the controller. We feel like, hey, I'm going to wear these buttons out. I've got my life under control. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I can fix this. I can handle this. I can plan this. And so we're busy mashing buttons. But it's an illusion. It, it's not really what's actually happening in life. Uh, and so... Chapter 3 is this very beautiful chapter. You've heard these words before. It's often read at funerals. There's a season for everything. There's a time for everything. Uh, if you're into music, there's a song from the 60s by the birds, Turn, 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 right? That's where it comes from. It, it's this chapter of the Bible. And, and so there's a season for everything. You live in a created world that has seasons that... And seasons, by definition, are temporary, right? They don't last forever. Um, and, and so this poem, it doesn't give reasons for the season. It doesn't even tell us how to live in that season. It just says you're going to experience all these different seasons of life. Um, and so let's read it. We'll read the first eight verses in chapter 3 today. They'll be on the screen or uh, online as well for you. It says, For everything... 
There's a season. A time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So there's a rhythm to life here. There's good things in this list. There's bad things. But here's what I want you to know. None of us, we, we, we can't escape this rhythm of life. Uh, we're all going to go through different seasons in life, both good and bad. So he starts off there, you know, a time to be born and a time to die. That's kind of the bookends of our human existence. And then everything in between are all these different uh, things that we go through. There's not really a logical progression here. There's not a connection. They're just kind of uh, all these different extremes. There are 14 pairs of opposites in this passage. Uh, and, and so here's uh, David Gibson wrote in his book, said it's a mistake to extract these verses from the whole chapter, as often is done, and, and think that they can have their real meaning without going and looking at the, the, the rest that's to come. Um, and so a lot of people just take camp out on these passages, but I, I think they're there to kind of set us up for what we're going to learn. They're to set up that life is temporary. They're, they're to set up this, this fact that all these different seasons, um, they're really, in some ways, they're unexpected. They're outside of our control. We, we feel like we have everything under control in life, but these seasons are not controlled by us. And so the problem is we get really nearsighted in life, and we only see what is right in front of us. And so there's a problem that's all we think about, that's all we focus on. There's a, a tough season of life, that's all we think about. There's a good season of life, we get fixated on that. Uh, we stay nearsighted, and we, we, we're not able to zoom back and see that each thing that happens in life is part of a season that's part of a bigger kind of ebb and flow of life. And, and Solomon, he's, again, he's a deep thinker. He's making us kind of step back and think about it. And so he's given us this poem to remind us there's a lot in life that we don't have control over. David Gibson went on to say, he said, the preacher is seeking to give us perspective on each of these items and this patterned opposite list while pointing us to the perplexity of this rhythmically ordered arrangement of time he he says life is full of flaws right all this stuff is not good The, the killing the tearing down the weeping the mourning the hating the warring these are the times of life that we will experience that show us in the most painful of ways that we live east of eden and we are still under the curse But more than this, the fact that there is no chronological sequence or discernible purpose to the order of each of these is itself part of the preacher's point that we have no control over any of these things. We make real responsible decisions every single day, but in reality, we each know that the season of life, uh, that in the seasons of life, they're almost completely out of our hands. There's a time for everything, but we are not arranging them. 
And again, I feel like this, so many of our problems could be fixed when we realize that we are not really in control. If you feel like you're in control of everything in your life, it's not going to be long before something happens that really wakes you up and makes you realize that you're not. But at the same time, all these seasons, we know they're going to change. We know they're temporary. We know that this is kind of showing us that we're not in control. But it reminds us that even though the seasons change, God doesn't change. And so with that, we can count on That kind of brings me to my second point. If, if we have no control, there are only really two options. Either everything happens by chance or everything happens with a divine purpose. And again, Solomon is kind of creating this argument. He's kind of building up this experiment and pointing us to the fact if you live and, and, we're, and we understand that there's a season and all this is happening is random, he keeps using the phrase, everything that happens under the sun. That's kind of code language, so to speak, for saying everything apart from God. Everything from our human perspective here on earth. We look at it from an under-the-sun perspective, from from what we can see, feel, taste, experience, right? But there's another perspective. There's a divine perspective. Um, and, And he's reminding us that through all these seasons of life, we can find ourselves pretty confused. We can find ourselves questioning God. Um, And really what's happening with Solomon, I would call it a a midlife crisis. (laughs) He's getting to this point, he's like, okay, I'm going through all this, I'm trying to find meaning, I'm trying to find joy, I'm trying to find purpose, and, and everything I try, I just keep coming up empty time after time. God, are you there? That's, that's kind of the, the struggle that I think that so many people have in our culture today. And that's what I love about Ecclesiastes is that it's a modern contemporary book in that, even though it was written thousands of years ago, it addresses some of the same questions we have today. We see people going through life and something bad happens. And why could a good God let bad things happen to good people? Why is there cancer? Why? Well, we're still living in a broken world under the curse. But we like to have control, so when things, we lose control, what we do, we, we blame God or say there is no God. And so we get here, um, you know, and what Solomon's doing, he's not trying to make us doubt God. In fact, he's making this argument that God is there. And, and apart from him, there is no meaning. And so his goal is not to get us to kind of deconstruct what we believe and throw it all away or any of that. His goal is he wants us to be changed and transformed in the process to give us a new perspective. And so we get to verse 9 here, and he kind of brings, up, he brings God into this whole idea of these seasons in life. What do people really get for their hard work? Again, he's questioning, I've seen the burden that God has placed on us all. And that, that translation's a little strange. CSB says this, it says, What does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. The image in my mind is God giving us the video game controller. <laughs> Stepping back and saying, they're occupied right now. And they think they're in control. All right, he's keep, we have a purpose. We have a job. 
But he's standing back watching and guiding. His hand is at work even when we don't realize it. What, what is the task that he has given us? If we are here and we are not in control, then who really is? That brings us to the question, right? Is life random? Is it by chance? Is there a God? Back in 1966, Time Magazine kind of created a, a big uproar with three simple words right on the cover. And maybe you've heard of this, uh, but uh, the, the cover just said, Is God dead? Is God dead? And, and that kind of based on uh, Frederick Nietzsche, his, his writings, the philosopher, and uh, he, he had said that, that God is dead. And this was kind of this whole movement, like, and it's the modern culture saying, well, we don't really need God. And that kind of started a movement now that for the last 50, 60 years has tried to explain away God's existence. Um, uh, and said, well, if we, and really, it's, and you see it especially in academic circles where they kind of say, well, if, and, and I know they, don't, they wouldn't come out and say this, but it's kind of like if we can explain away God, then we don't really have to be accountable to God. If we can explain them away scientifically, rationally, philosophically, right, then we then it means that that we're here by chance, that this life is all that there is, and what Solomon said then, under the sun, it's just meaningless. There's real no discernible purpose or pattern or reason that you're here. You're, you're here simply by accident, is, is what uh, they would say. And, and and I would push back against that and say, Do you really believe that? Do you really believe you are here by random chance? Or do you believe that there is is something bigger than us kind of at work all around us? I feel like Solomon, he, he went through this whole experiment to point us to the fact there is a God. And that God is in control. And so if God doesn't exist, then everything that happens is by chance. It's complete randomness. We have no meaning or purpose other than to survive and to make the most of the limited time that we are alive. It means that we aren't accountable to anyone. anyone. It means we can do what we want whenever we want. It means our life is really only about us because we're just going to die and and, and be done and then someone else is going to... It's just that's the, the reality, right, if we take that viewpoint. But if there is a God and he does exist, then even when life seems random and doesn't make sense under the sun, there's another perspective that we don't see. That's why in the New Testament, Romans 8, um, 28, verse that many of you heard, right? We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, what is that verse? Does it mean that everything that happens to you is good? No, it means that God takes everything in life, the random, the uncertain, the unpleasant, all of those things. We live in this broken world, but he is still at work weaving them all together in this tapestry of life, kind of building this this image, right? Building this, he's weaving everything together in a way that we don't see, in a way that we don't understand. But ultimately, he can use it for good. And so... What Psalm is doing, he's reminding us that we need to trust in God. That, that even when we don't understand life, God is there. And that kind of leads me to my next point, right? God is the only one who truly sees and understands 
the events of our life. God is the only one. We don't always understand. We, we don't, and like, if we go to each other and we try to help each other, we, we, I'm, you, you, if you come to me with issues or problems, there's a lot of times I'm going to say, man, that's kind of stinks. I don't understand why that's happening. Let's just be honest, right? There's not an easy explanation for every event that happens in your life. Um, and, and I think as Christians, sometimes we're like, oh, we can explain it. We can make sense of it. We'll tell you all this. We'll, we'll kinda... But there's not an easy explanation for it. But we can start understanding our purpose when we understand that God sees and that God cares. And it kind of brings me to, to, to two theological terms that I think we need to, to take some time explaining and understanding. And it's God's sovereignty and God's providence. I'll come back to those and explain them a little bit. But for the first time in this book, what Solomon does now, he starts giving us an explanation now. He starts giving us a new perspective. He starts saying, okay, you don't understand what's going on in your life. You don't understand this season. You don't understand that you're not in control. God is in control. And so in chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Yet God has made everything beautiful, uh, has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Uh, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We have this limited perspective. We're nearsighted. We only see what is right in front of us. We don't understand the big picture. So I concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor for these are gifts from God. This takes us back to the argument last week when he's talking about pleasure. And he finally gets to the point, apart from God, this is all meaningless. But when you understand the giver of the gifts, you, have, you find your satisfaction in him. Then you truly can uh, find you can find joy in these gifts for what they are. They're gifts from God, and and He wants us to enjoy the created things. But we find our purpose in the Creator God, and so that's kind of where we find ourselves here. And and so the world, I would say, is divided into two camps of people: those who believe in God's providence and those who don't. And, and let me kind of talk about sovereignty and. Uh, providence a little bit because we we believe that God is at work he's his sovereign he's sovereign he is providentially ordering the events of our life so let's break it down what God's sovereignty means is that he has the power the wisdom and the authority to do anything he wants to with his creation that's that's what sovereignty is when we speak of the sovereignty of God it means that he rules the universe he is sovereign. He is the ruler of the universe. He is at work. And when we, divine providence kind of takes it one step further, right? It's not only is God in control, not only is God ruling, but God actually cares. God, God he's directing everything in the universe according to his love and his care. So, so this doctrine kind of stands in direct opposition to the idea that the universe is just governed by chance. That things happen randomly. When we say God is providentially ruling, God is providentially uh, in charge, what we're saying, He is in charge, He is sovereign, but He cares. He has a plan for your life. That's what the New Testament teaches, right? That God is directing, even the Old Testament, God, God knew you before you were even born. 
He knit you together in your mother's womb, and He's working out all these things in our life. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 you know, says we are His poetry, we're His poema, His, His masterpiece, and He's preparing us to do the good works that He has planned for us from long ago. I mean, we, we see this, this thread through Scripture that God is working even when we don't see Him, even when we don't realize it. And so one of the the oldest sayings in the ancient church, in the old church, uh, summarizes the relationship between God and his people, and it simply is this, God for us. That was one of the the, kind of the mottos of the early church, God for us. And that's what God's providence is all about, divine providence. God is for us. He has a plan for us. He cares for us. God loves us and and is working around that. There's... uh, I've mentioned before from time to time that in the early church um, throughout history, um, I think they were a little, they were more focused on passing down things orally um, and teaching doctrine and theology from one generation to the next. And one of the ways they did this, and in many different um, denomination type, you know, uh, traditions, is they did it through what was called catechisms. And catechisms were kind of a question and answer Um, and they would memorize these they would teach them in church they would teach them to their children and uh, and this was a way they kind of passed down from one generation to the next and uh, parents if you're interested in and kind of doing something like this there's a group that has come up with a uh, it's called the new city catechism it's kind of a modernized version of some of these and have and there's songs to them for your kids it's really kind of cool if you've not checked that out Uh, but one of the, the catechisms is the Heidelberg Catechism. And, and question 27, uh, the answer to it is this. And it's talking about God's providence and God's sovereignty. It says, The Almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And, and so what they were doing in the early church, they were just reminding each other, right, that all of this stuff that happens, the, the rain, the drought, the fruitful, the barren years, the meat, drink, health, sickness, richness, poverty, all that stuff, right, it's not by chance. It's not random. This is all comes out of his fatherly hand. And, and, and they would go on to say in, in question 28 why they do this, why, they, why this is important. They say that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and, and for what is future have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love since all creatures are in his hand uh, that without his will they cannot so much as move so he's saying this is why understanding his sovereignty and his providence are important right because when we do that we can be patient in adversity we can be thankful in prosperity we can have confidence in our God who is faithful and and he's got every living creature in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as even move that's how in control God is you see why it's important for us to kind of go back and, and learn and, and hold on to some of these ancient truths that have been taught through the years. This is why doctrine is important. This is why theology is important. We, we shouldn't be scared to learn about the character and the nature of the God we serve. 
And so you really have two choices in life. You can either believe that this life is the result of chance and the random operation of nature. And if you do, then I'm just going to be honest with you. There's no real point in being here because your life really has no meaning other than to survive. But on the other hand, if you believe that this life is the result of a good and a loving and merciful and gracious God then it makes all the difference in the world that we understand who He is and why we were created. That we understand our place in this divine order of life. And so in this passage, right, uh, he, He's given us, He's telling us that God has planted eternity in our hearts. He's given us this longing. He's give, given us th- this God-shaped vacuum in, the, in the every person's soul that we are searching for the God who created us. David Gibson, uh, again in his book, uh, Living Life Backwards, he said this, he said, part of being wise in this world is learning to accept that we only have very limited access to the big picture. To be sure, we often won't access to it, for God has put eternity into man's heart. But the point is that we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God is not being unkind to us by not sharing it, The point is that we are not built to understand the big picture precisely because we live in time, but God does not. If we could see the end from the beginning and understand how a billion lives and a thousand generations and unspeakable sorrows and untold joys are are woven into this tapestry of perfect beauty, then we would be God. For some reason, after I read that quote, I just pictured it in my mind, right? Like we're saying... Uh, we want the truth, and, 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 and I picture Jack Nicholson shouting back, you can't handle the truth. Okay, some of y'all are old enough to get that line. Okay, you can't handle it. I feel like that's where we're at. Like, we can't handle, we, we, like, God, I want to understand life, and I want to understand why this happened, I want to understand this, and he's like, you can't handle the truth because you're not God. That's the reality that Solomon is kind of, pointing out here we're not God we're not in control and if we were we would be God and I feel like that's such a encapsulation of of kind of the spirit of this world is like so many people think they are God they think they have all the answers to every issue and every problem they're sitting on the throne of their own life and there's no room for God in that when we when we are in control God is not right and that's kind of where we, we, we find some of you today, if you get nothing else out of this message, it's simply that, that I need to let go of control. I need to let go of control. You've been trying to maintain this illusion of control when in all honesty, you just need to learn that God is the one who truly is in control. If we are in control of our lives, then it means that we have no need for God. Just think about that for a minute, Right? Control is not a good thing. We elevate and say, oh man, they're, 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 they've got it all together. Man, they're in control. That's not a good thing. When we learn to, and that's why when we talk about the gospel, we talk about yielding control. We talk about making Jesus the Lord of your life. A lot of people are like, oh, I want Jesus to be my Savior. That's good, but what about the Lord part? What about the master, the ruler? The, the problem is, right, in our world today, we want Jesus to save us, but we don't want him to change us. 
we, we want Jesus for what we can get out of it, but we don't want him to, to we don't want to give him control of our life because we're afraid of what he might do in us and through us if we do that. That's a scary thought, right? If we're holding on to control, that means that Jesus is not the Lord of our life. It, it, if he's the Lord, it means he is in control. And so what Solomon is doing here, he's stripping away all those things that we try to fill our lives with. He's getting down to the very basic. There is a God who created everything, and he has created everything for a reason. God exists. He created all things. God gives meaning to our life. And, and so if we want to know who God is, we fear God. We obey him. We find our satisfaction, our meaning in him. And that brings me to my last point. Will we trust God? Even in the seasons that we don't understand. A lot of you guys are going through stuff in life that I don't even know about. All right, I mean, you're going through a season of life where you may be questioning why it's happening. You may not understand. You may be struggling. Um, we all go through those seasons. Some are more severe than others. And... Um, Solomon, again, he just keeps pushing us back to there is a God. Verse 14, and I know, I know that whatever God does is final. God's in control. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. And, and we've talked about this verb fear before here. It's not this like cowering and fear, fear afraid that he's going to strike us down. It's when you understand how incredible God is. You just understand how awesome he is, how holy he is. There's a reverence there. There's, there's a, a, a healthy fear. There's a respect. There's an understanding. He's God and I'm not. And I need to, 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 to understand my, my place in that relationship, right? What is happening now has happened before and what will happen in the future has happened before because God makes the same things happen over and over again. God is in control. That, that's this, this, this theme that we keep seeing over and over again. I read this week, it said, it's not that he's telling us that life is full of good times and bad times, and, and so you just have to roll with the punches. That's not what he's trying to communicate. He's telling us that life is full of good times and bad times, and that, that we cannot control, but the patterning of our lives in this way is part of a bigger pattern that God does control. So it's understanding, it's not just, hey, this happens and it's all random. It's God is working things out all the time. God is at work all around us. And do we realize it? Life can be difficult. You're going to struggle. There are going to be seasons, right, that cause you to even, I think, sometimes question or doubt, God, what's going on here? Look at Job is another wisdom book, right, that that happens to Job. And, I mean, he loses everything, and he has no idea of this supernatural battle that's going on all around him. His friends are telling him to, to curse God and die, and he, all he can say is, I know my Redeemer lives. And in the midst of that, we've got to learn that, that we don't always have the easy answer. We don't always understand. Um, there, there's this paradox that's going on, but in the reality of life, right, we either will harden our hearts and, and turn away from God, or we will just completely surrender and say, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you anyway. 
God, I, I don't see where this is going, but I'm going to trust you anyway. God, I'm not sure why you want to do this, but I'm going to trust you anyway. God, just do what you will. Because it's not about me mashing buttons. It's not about me trying to control which way I'm going. It's me laying down the controller and saying I'm not in control. And, and so my question for you this morning, where are you at, right? Are you still trying to control everything? Are you still trying to, to work things out in a way that you'll win the game? You, you win when you surrender, when you lay it down and say, God, you are the one that I'm going to trust no matter what happens. That starts when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. When you get saved, it's more than just intellectually, intellectually acknowledging that there is a God. The, the demons do that. They know who Jesus is when he shows up. They know about God. It's more than just intellectual knowledge. It's this surrendering. It's why Romans 10 says, right, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. It's this understanding of who Jesus is and why he came and what he did on the cross, how he died on our behalf. But it's this acknowledgement that he is the Lord. It's this surrendering of control. That's what repentance is all about. It's saying... I'm going to turn from this direction. I'm going to start following you. Everything about my life is different. That's why Paul keeps saying, you've, you've crossed from death to life. It's that dramatic of a change in your life when you come to Jesus. So many of us are holding on to control. We're not willing to hand over that controller and say, God, you're the one who gets to uh, direct my life. Because it's scary. But I can tell you it's the most freeing thing that you will ever do. Because as long as we're holding on to control, what in essence we're telling God is, I don't need you, I don't trust you, and I don't, I don't believe that you have a plan for my life. So I want to invite you today to, to do what I think is, is the only true way that we can find meaning and purpose in this life, and that is to give your life to Jesus. And so I'm going to pray, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. If you're online, I'd ask that you do this as well. But let's just bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, today as we continue going through this book of Ecclesiastes, I'm so thankful that you continue to, to teach us and challenge us and, and change us. We, we thank you for the truth that you're in control. And so even when we don't understand what's going on in our lives, even when our lives seem out of control, we understand because you do understand us. You do control what happens in this world. You are merciful. You are full of grace. Your, your sovereignty and your providence guide what happens on this earth. And so, Lord, we, we want to trust you. And, Lord, I pray for those in this room and those who are watching online who have never really surrendered or yielded their life to you, who have never really said, Lord, I, 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 Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to, to, to guide my life and, and help us to get to that point where we're willing to, to kneel down and just say, God, I believe, I trust, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I confess it, Lord. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart, God, what you have promised.
And so, Lord, come into my my life. Change me. Forgive me. Transform me. Help me to live like Jesus. Guide me in what you want me to do. Help me to to share the gospel truth with others who don't know you yet. And wherever you call me to go and whatever you call me to do, Lord, I'm willing because you're the one in control. I just thank you, Lord, that you still save and transform people today. And I'm thankful that you call us your children, that you love us so much that you still want to use us to advance your kingdom. So, Lord, I'm thankful for that. I pray for this church. I pray for the people listening today. Would you just help us to find our place in your purpose? We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.